joining. I'm Lisa Cook, ISACA's ITGRC Professional Practices League. Joining me today is a very special guest, Chris Medekshel. She is a cybersecurity analyst at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center. Chris is joining us today to chat about her article, Managing Human Risk Requires More Than Just Awareness Training. Chris, it's great to have you join me today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Chris, can I take a moment to ask you to introduce yourself to our audience? Can you tell me a little bit about your background and what you do? Sure. So uh, my job title is cybersecurity analyst. I am a member of our GRC team, Governance, Risk, and Compliance. So when all is said and done, I do risk management, I do policy management, and then I'm doing the awareness and training, which is what I was hired to do about seven years ago now here at the university. Um, and then as things happen, you know, the job titles change and more duties are put assigned to me. So um, what my passion is, though, is the awareness and training and getting people to understand what cybersecurity is, why they should be concerned about it, and how to make the university safer and also themselves and their, and their families and their personal lives. Excellent, excellent. And this is a very interesting article. I recommend everybody read it. But can you tell me what inspired you to write this? Well, as a member of the GRC team and the awareness and training person, which is just a third of my job, human risk is something that should be identified and not just put off to the side. Um, we have, depending on your organization, you probably have some compliance-driven training um, whether you have to, you know, healthcare with HIPAA, FERPA here at the university with student data, PCI for credit card data, I could go on with all the acronyms. But there's compliance training that is required. And so if you just check a box off on compliance training to say, okay, I'm going to make everybody watch these videos once a year, and then I'm going back to my other job and everybody else goes back to their job, then you really don't help manage that human risk and protect the organization. So if, and especially if your, your compliance training says, well, we have to deal with this subject, this subject, this subject, and you have 20 things and 20 videos people to see, they're not going to learn unless there's reinforcement. Yes, yes, that makes so much sense. And, you know, you've talked about human risk. It's in the title of your article. Tell me a little bit more about what is meant by human risk and why should everybody be concerned okay. about it? Well, the Verizon Data Breach Report has come out every year. In 2022, they identified that 82% of breaches included the human element. For 2023, the report came out um, in May, and the, uh, the percentage went down to 74%, but that's still an astronomical number that humans are allowing breaches to happen in some way, shape, or form. So with that being such a high risk and a high number, human risk needs to be um, addressed, identified. And to start a human risk assessment, you start with a risk assessment. You know, risk is the idea of the likelihood of an event happening and the impact that would happen if the event occurred. So you add the human factor to that, and then you start wondering about what it is that I need to deal with. Are, are we getting emails that are fishes inundated in our, in our environment? Do we need to worry about insider threat? 
Um, are we a social media company that a lot of our communications is on social media? So our, our people need to know the appropriate way of doing social media. So it starts with the risk assessment to see what your high risks are. And then you train and you educate your people on those high risks for, to get more bang for your buck. Oh, absolutely. And I would think that particularly with the news today, cyber risks and data being breached would be up there in terms of the, the risks that organizations would find themselves um, uh, identifying right. during, right. That, during that assessment process. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm at a university. Uh, we are the health, uh, UT Health Science Center. So there is a, we call it the trifecta of um, high risk uh, government. We're a public university, uh, healthcare. We train the doctors and nurses and, and residents, uh, pharmacists, dentists, continuing on. Um, and then we're the finance people because nobody, I don't think anyone goes to the to become a doctor without having some type of student aid. So we are the trifecta. We're government, we're healthcare, and we're financial aid. So that being said, we are a major target. And I would say that data breach would be really high up there. So when we start thinking about a particularly, you know, a, again, another hot topic being AI enabled tools and the sophistication of these phishing attacks, you mentioned phishing, deep fakes, the kind of misinformation that could be out there. Uh, talk to me a little about what's happening in higher education around that. Well, and how yeah. All the humans hold the risk of that. Okay, me. yeah, because in higher ed, the first thing everyone talked about AI, they were worried about students using AI to write, you know, stuff. Uh, we don't have that problem really at the Health Science Center because there are people doing their own research. You just can't say, hey, chat GPT, write this, you know, thing about diabetes. Um, but when we're looking at AI now in the cybersecurity area, realize that both sides are going to use AI. Um, those, the, the, um, bad actors are going to use AI to make their phishing emails look a lot more legit because we used to say, Oh, look for poor grammar. You can see that these people, English is not their first language. Now with AI, they don't have that problem anymore. It looks real, just like deep fakes. They look real. Um, so the takeaway for everyone is be suspicious of everything sort of sucks on trust, but that's what happens. On the good side, though, for somebody who may not have a communications background, you've been stuck with this job of you need to tell people all this stuff and you, you're the technical person. So you talk tech language. You could talk great to IT folks, but for the financial person, the HR people, the your lawyers, they are, you know, AI can help you translate what you want to say in a way that people will actually hear and listen and learn from. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I would think that, you know, you said that you have the background for training as well and awareness as <laughs> well as policy. So I, I would think organizations, they've traditionally used uh, periodic training and awareness programs to address these human risks. Mm -hmm. But your position is that we need to go beyond these programs and developing risk mitigation strategies. Why is that? Talk to me a little bit more about that. Okay. Well, because um, when... Like I say, if you're if you're checking a box in compliance to say everyone's been trained, yay, we're good. Wait, you know, we're not going to worry about it for another year. Um, and then you put out policies, administrative policies that says this is how this is how your this is your acceptable use policy. This is your code of conduct. This is how you're supposed to use email. You know, and then but you don't 
you don't integrate that with, you know, the best practices. We do this because we just don't tell you, you must do this. The reason you're doing that, you know, you must use multi-factor authentication because we told you to. No, you use multi-factor authentication so that we protect the data in the university and take it to your personal life. If your bank doesn't use multi-factor authentication on your on your business on your accounts, find another bank. Absolutely, absolutely. So, what would be the first step in managing this risk? Is it the self-assessment program? What's the first step in managing this human risk? Yeah. So, first first step is a self-assessment, or as you say, a risk assessment. You find out what your major risks are. So, how do you do that? Um, for me, it's engaging with. Uh, the university, some people, also specifically the security ops team, because they are the ones that are getting fishes reported to them. Uh, they are the ones that I can go and say, hey, what do you, what, what's your incident response has looked like for the last quarter? What are you dealing with? Are you dealing with data leakage? Are you dealing with um, insider threat? Are you dealing with um, any type of data security? So, you know, going, finding what those risks are then you can then you can develop a program to say this is what people need to learn and it might be just as simple as like every month or every quarter you have a theme this you know we're talking about insider threat in the second quarter of 2023 so let's talk about that it's just not malicious behavior it could be negligent behavior so i know i'm preaching because anytime i have a chance i, I try to get some some you know preaching stuff in teaching right. preaching but um you know Instead of just once a year and people forgetting it, you know, seven months down the road, oh, I forgot about that. It's the same thing with like policies. You write a policy and people are like, oh, I, I read that when I first started. I can't tell you exactly anything what it says anymore. You know, people are not going to go every month and review and read every policy again. Absolutely. And you talked about code of conduct and things of that nature. You know, are, are those the ways that organizations can incentivize positive you know, behavior so that the proper um, humans are doing the right thing because they've been properly trained and incentivized. Yes, How I am very much, that? yeah, a positive person instead of the negative person. You use the carrot, mm -hmm. not the stick. Um, <laughs> because if you use the stick, you get this negative uh, connotation. And so people are not going to want to report that, oh my gosh, I clicked on the link. Oh, maybe nobody noticed because I don't want people to like yell at me. Um, we want people to have uh, positive attitude. Oh, thank you. You know, yes, you did bad. You clicked on that link, but you know, it's a lot easier to take care of a problem if we knew it 30 minutes in instead of 30 days, you're doing the right thing. So, you know, a lot of positive attitudes, a lot of open trust, freedom so that people we're approachable. Um, you know, we are not, we don't want to be the people that say no all the time. No, you can't download this. No, you can't do that. Let's find the way to do it the most secure way instead of thinking of, you know, we're the, we're the, we're the mean people. No, we're not. But we, we want to be very approachable and positive instead of that negative connotation. Absolutely. And not so much that this is negative, but there are other mechanisms, right, by which we can be alerted or identify some of these issues, these mm -hmm. insider threats that you talked about earlier. Definitely. And um, talk to me a little bit about how whistleblower policy, right? play a role? Yeah, whistleblowers are sort of interesting because they're both positive and negative. You know, if 
the whistleblower, um, you know, made the news because of some government agency. And now the people are like, oh, yes, we should rally around them. But then if it's a whistleblower in your organization, you're like, why are you spreading rumors about us? Why, you know, why are you rocking the boat? So whistleblowers, though, have a there's a reason for calling them that um, whistle. You know, if there is something going on that is wrong, inappropriate against the mission and goals of your organization, it needs to be addressed, whether that's a security issue, whether that's an operational issue, a finance issue. So whistleblowers have I want everyone to look at whistleblowers as a positive because they are the ones that's going to make the, the organization better and not just hide under a rock. No, nothing does, nothing happens good if it's just hidden under a rock. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, you know, I, I got to thinking a little bit as we're talking about good hi, uh, cyber hygiene mm-hmm. and how does that help to reinforce cyber awareness, compliance, preparedness? Yes. So yeah, for prepare, uh, thank you for putting preparedness in there instead of just awareness. Um, that's one of my goals here at the university is, is making people prepared to respond instead of just aware of things. But cyber hygiene, to make people interested in it instead of just, oh, that's just that Chris lady that's talking again, um, you make it personal. Like I mentioned about somebody in their bank and using MFA, if if you just say, oh, well, you need to do this for our organization, instead of saying, hey, at your personal level, um, you need to protect your accounts. You need to protect your home router. Um, you need to, pre- you, you understand about security controls for your kids uh, when they're online. You need to worry about your parents and the robocalls and your grandparents and your elderly neighbors that are a vulnerable threat to telephone scams. You know, if you make it personal and they become the security culture then, they understand the why for it and they protect themselves in their home environment, they're going to bring it back to the organization. Because I have a strong password on my bank account, I understand why I need a strong password on my business email. Um, And so things like that, when you talk about cyber hygiene, you really just want to make them understand um, the the reason for security. I do this in my talks all the time and I have my hands up here. We have security on one side, we have convenience on the other. The two will never meet. Things that are secure are never gonna be convenient and things that are convenient probably are never gonna be secure. But going back to risk management, every person needs to decide where on this scale they are, where they feel comfortable being with convenience and security, if that makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely does. Now, you mentioned um, security culture. So that prompts me to ask, whose responsibility is it to foster a security culture uh, within the organization? That's a very good question because there have been arguments here at the university and then when I I look in blogs and and different communities um, because we'll have people to say, hey, security people, if you do your job, I shouldn't have to worry about security. And I was like, well, okay, I, I, I get your point, but my opinion is security culture and, and security awareness is everyone's responsibility. Again, you take it back to that personal level, level. I am not going to make sure that you change your password on your home router. I am not going to make sure that all of your, your personal accounts have different and strong passwords. Um, 
I care about the university in that in, in that area, but I'm you're you're going to have to take responsibility for both your personal stuff and your data here at the university. How are we going to pay for all of this? That might be a question that's on everybody's minds. That's always on everyone's mind. The budget, I have no budget, you know. So in the article, I mentioned time, talent, and treasure, that you need all three to get um, a good awareness, preparedness program to the next maturity level besides just compliance. So what we're looking at is when you talk about treasure, I'll, I'll go from the back to the front, treasure, a, a budget. You need to be able to um, set aside funds to develop a program just like you would for anything else. You know, you have vulnerability management and you have scans and you do this. Again, if uh, 74% of, of data breaches have the human element, you should be able to spend some money on the risk analysis and the, the, the mitigation plan for human risk. Um, if you don't have a budget, you'd be surprised how many, you know, start Googling because there are so many free videos that you can find either on YouTube or some co companies offer free videos, uh, free posters, uh, and then join a community where you can get ideas. That backs up to talent. Um, this might, this job might be given to somebody as other duties as assigned. Figure out the program for this year. We don't have to worry about compliance anymore. You know, go back to your regular job. You need somebody that has the talent to be able to talk to people, um, to make them understand what it is about cybersecurity and how to how to use it. Um, and if you even if you don't have that, that's where AI comes in. A coworker of mine actually asked ChatGPT to explain cybersecurity using a 90s hip hop theme. And it did, and it was really good. Um, so, you know, there's, if you don't have the talent, you have to at least have the capability of thinking outside the box. And then it comes back to the first one of time. You need, whether you're the manager or, you know, if you have, if, if you have a team um, that this is part of their job duties, you need to give them time to develop a plan. You just can't say, oh, by next week, we need everybody trained. No, you know, if we're gonna have monthly themes or quarterly themes, we need to know, are we gonna give a video out? Are we gonna put a poster up? Are we gonna use digital signage? What are we gonna to do to get our theme and our education and our awareness uh, across to everyone? So time, talent, and treasure. Absolutely. And, um, you know, this idea of trust as well has come up. And ISACA has uh, our, our digital trust ecosystem framework. We have a trust factor that speaks to managing human interaction with the technology. It speaks to continuous training, assessing skill sets and competencies, and associated gap. Uh, those are among the recommended activities. Um, and it, it brings me to the question, how do we, how can an organization balance the employee trust while also tracking risky employee activities? By transparency. You let people know what it is that you are doing. Um, you, you keep information, sensitive information, confidential and secure, um, but you let people know, hey, you know what? We, we monitor emails. Um, we do this for the protection of the university and also for yourself. That's why you don't get 10,000 phishing emails a day or spam 
or scam emails. Um, you let them know that there is an insider threat program so that you can, if you, if you, if you see something, say something, how many times have people heard that? Um, but, you know, go back to the whistleblower thing. If you see something, let somebody know. Um, and so there's a big trust factor, but trust the security team that they have the best interest of the university and our employees and our faculty and our staff. So, and students, sorry, um, <laughs> can't forget the students. Um, so it is, as long as you're transparent and people know what it is that you're doing, you can get people's buy-in that way. Oh, absolutely. I think that's a great way to, uh, to end our conversation today. It's been really a joy to meet you and to talk with you about this article. And as much as I hate to end this great conversation, it's all the time that we have for today. Great. Chris, I can't thank you enough for being our guest today. It was a pleasure. I know you, our audience are interested in learning more about her article. So please click on the links in the description below. Again, that's all for now, everyone. I'm Lisa Cook, and thank you for tuning in. Thank you.